This podcast is sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. The OAG Punctuality League 2016 reveals on-time performance for the world's airlines and airports. The industry's most comprehensive annual ranking returns with the best performers. Airline categories include mainline airlines, low-cost carriers, and top performers from North America, Latin America, EMEA, and Asia-Pacific. Visit oag.com slash punctualityleague2016. The big news coming from United's fourth quarter earnings report wasn't just that United posted a 10.8% operating profit margin, which alone would be a nice number for the off-peak fourth quarter. What really made it sweet was that United beat Delta, who had a 10.7% operating margin. Seth, did you ever think you'd see the day? Not this soon. Now, United was helped by the fact that Delta had to spend $380 million last quarter on retroactive pilot pay. Still, each quarter has its headwinds and tailwinds, and give United credit. They put themselves in a position to win this time, and they won. Among the big three, United is number one, at least until American reports in a few days. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to dig a little deeper into United's fourth quarter. We're also going to talk about the situation at Cathay Pacific, what Brexit could mean for Ryanair, plus a whole lot more in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so United did well, but Seth, last week you said that without Delta's pilot pay situation, Delta would have posted a 15% margin. How good was United's number really? Well, I mean, you partly just answered the question. If you control for that, significantly lower than what Delta would have earned. Really good, as as you mentioned in the intro, not only in the context of of just the fact that it's the fourth quarter, which is supposed to be an off-peak quarter, but also, Jason, the fact that uh, American, which, as you mentioned, is, is... going to be reporting earnings here is not going to match United. Uh, United will have been significantly better in American, which uh, most recently, I think I did, uh, guided a 7 to 9% margin. Uh, that, by the way, an improvement over to 6 to 8% that it had been looking at. So, uh, uh, you know, things turning up. All these airlines have, have indicated that after the election, uh, you know, corporate travel started to to rebound and, and so forth. But yeah, good number. One other caveat, if you're sort of you know, looking to put it in perspective, and you do kind of have to split hairs when you're talking about uh, tenths of a point, um, is is uh, you know the fact that United here in the first quarter don't expect it to uh, to do as well as as the other airlines uh, because it, it doesn't have as much Florida exposure, which is one place that does you know rather well in March because of, of spring break, not as much north south. Uh, so. If United manages to do uh, you know, meaningfully better than American even here in the first quarter, this current quarter, which you know, they won't report for a few months, um, th- that would be uh, particularly impressive. Okay, the first quarter notwithstanding, after so many years of United clearly and consistently underperforming Delta and American, are we seeing an end to that era? Yeah, I mean, it. it you know, not, not, not only is it not uh, – you know, consistently underperforming American at this point. It's you know, it's not underperforming it at all. At least here, 
again, almost certainly, uh, you know, once we see Americans numbers for the for the fourth quarter. Now, uh, you know, if you're looking at sort of reasons for caution, um, United has had moments in the past, uh, just after its merger with Continental, for example, uh, it's easy to forget now, I think we sort of lump the, you know, the past bunch of years together and say, oh, the merger was a mess. And, and United never really uh, did well after that. But actually, it looked like it was was turning the corner immediately after the merger. And then the wheels kind of came off. Now, I want to be clear, Jason, I'm not saying that's what's happening here. In fact, I you know, I, I uh, if you ask me to guess, I would say that's that's indeed not what's happening here. Just to say that, you know, a, a, a couple of good quarters are uh, are, are not necessarily a, an indication uh, that that the future is going to be great. But um, there there's a lot of reason for optimism here. Uh, you know, the numbers themselves, uh, and 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 the fact that you know United has some of the best people in the industry uh, now at, at the top of its management ranks. And uh, you know, you know, some of what is is going right there was starting even before that. This is not mostly reflective of what happened in the first quarter of anything that you know Scott Kirby did there. Um, he he uh, turned up there just as the uh, as what a month before the quarter was about to begin. Uh, so you know, yeah, I, I'd say um, more reasons for optimism uh, certainly than than pessimism now for United. Looking at their Q4 more closely, it's impressive how they managed to keep revenue stable. Obviously, capacity discipline has a lot to do with that. Also, as bad as Houston has been for them, San Francisco seems to be doing equally great. Yeah, it's been a great hedge for them, right? The ability to basically move capacity from Houston to San Francisco, also to Denver, which has been uh, growing nicely. Uh, Denver, by the way, United's most profitable hub, uh, they've said. Um, you know, interesting. Not not you know, maybe not shocking, but not ne- something I necessarily would have uh, would have predicted. You know that that sort of speaks to several broader trends. Uh, you know, the the local economy in Denver is 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 quite good. It, it's a mostly domestic hub at a time, and that's important. Um, at a time when you know domestic U.S. has, despite the various competitive battles uh, d- domestically, has been a rather good place to be. So uh, you know, in the context of all that, yeah, maybe not so surprising. Uh, so yeah, so they've uh, uh, they have that luxury of of having a bunch of hubs. I mean, that's that's uh, you know one of the benefits of of being an airline that's in this consolidated industry where instead of having uh, you know three or four hubs, you might have seven or eight hubs and just be able to really dynamically allocate capacity uh, among all the hubs. Um, you know it, it, it has indeed been able to uh, do that. United, by the way, making rather clear that it has no plans to uh, to close any of those hubs. you know it's it's happy, I guess with uh, you know with Dulles as it exists today, with LAX as it exists today. I mentioned those two because those are ones that I think people sort of see as maybe the most marginal hubs uh, and, and indeed places where it is already cut uh, a lot. Brett Snyder over at Cranky Flyer has made the observation that he says to call LAX at this point a hub for United is, you know, the, the question about, you know, is it, you know, are they are they going to close the hub? It's sort of already it sort of already happened in some way. You know, just just uh, a lot of the flying from there, just sort of flying to its other hubs and so forth. They've, they've already cut a lot. But anyway, uh, they seem to be sort of reasonably happy with the with the status of all those uh, of all those hubs and they are uh, very much building up their domestic network they seem to feel that uh and i mean they more than they seem to feel if you if you look relatively at the amount of uh, domestic flying that they have feeding their hubs compared to uh delta and american um they're at a deficit and they are uh very clearly uh, trying to address that, so you know, it's it's always you know the big long haul routes that get all the headlines. You know, more quietly, you know, adding 
capacity from Nashville into its hubs and everything, these things can make a big, uh, a big difference for an airline. What about the reports that United may be interested in Interjet? As we've noted lately, Interjet has been lagging its Mexican peers. Does that make that a risky endeavor? Well, uh, I mean, look, this would clearly be a strategic investment. They would not be investing in Interjet because you know it, it because it's the very best thing they can think to to do with their with their money in in a vacuum. Um, and, and yeah, you know, when when you invest in in a company, I mean, you are exposed, um, you know, sometimes beyond your initial investment. If there's you know if there's a cash call, Interjet's a a solvent company, but um, but a, a far less profitable one than the other Mexican carriers. Um, you know, on the other hand, you have now uh, Delta and Aeromexico. You know, what's sure to be a rather powerful uh, joint venture. This, you know, this is our neighbor uh, to the south. United has a partner uh, the, to the north in Canada. You know, the best partner you can have there. Canada, just in terms of of, of, of size, at least, can't have a. Uh, you know, there's no Star Alliance partner to have anymore anyway down in mexico um and so uh you know interjet is a, a full service kind of an airline you know an airline that that you know from a from a brand's per, brand perspective and so forth you wouldn't mind uh being associated with if you're if you're united um and so you know you you, you could imagine uh why they're interested and in, and uh you know it, I mean, we would have to see i mean these are all you know just reports that are out there but uh you know what? What kind of a stake they would take in Interjet? You know, as long as they manage their risk, you could you could certainly envision a scenario where there's more more upside uh, than not. Well, let's switch from the southern border to the northern one. Uh, what's going on with United and Air Canada? They're JV partners. Are they going to remain partners? It's an interesting question. Um, you know, without overstating the case here, uh, because there's I mean, certainly nobody's said anything per se indicating uh otherwise and in fact everything might be um just fine but it, it's a question worth asking because look uh even as these US airlines uh you know talk about capacity discipline Air Canada is the fastest growing long haul airline uh if if you measure just sort of by a long haul seats added um we did the analysis a couple weeks back using uh, DO MI data uh Flights over three thousand miles. There's nobody adding faster than uh, than Air Canada. Not even Emirates these days, which uh, in raw numbers for a long time had had been the uh, the most aggressive airline in that regard. Uh, so even even just raw numbers of seats, Air Canada is faster in percentage terms. There's nobody close to Air Canada. And, and uh, you know, part of what they're doing is bringing people into uh, to their hubs uh, from points south, from from the U.S. Especially, they've been uh, adding pipes into their hubs. And, uh, you know, these hubs are good places to connect to Europe, to Asia. You know, if, if you're connecting to Europe, uh, there's revenues shared by United to Asia, not, um, you know, basically, uh, it, it, it's, it's one of these situations where Air Canada is in some respect, um, becoming as much a, a competitor as a partner, you know, on United's earnings calls, call last week, um, uh, they were asked, and, and uh, Scott Kirby asked a, que- asked a question, sort of, uh, you know, what's the status there? And again, without trying to read too much into it, it was sort of one of those opportunities where he could have unequivocally said, "Look, they're an extremely important partner, and that's not going to change." And he didn't. He didn't say that. Uh, you know, he he. You know, sort of indicated that you know they're always reviewing all their partnerships and so forth. So, um, so we'll see. The possibilities really run the gamut from you know the, the idea that you know maybe the relationship is threatened to, um, you know maybe somehow the the terms are renegotiated. But um, it is an unusual situation when you have this airline uh, within JV sort of 
adding um, all this capacity, including um, within JV markets, um, typically, and I mean, look, these these JV agreements are are are, are confidential. It's not like we, we can look at that at at that agreement um, between United Air Canada and the Lufthansa Group. But you know, typically speaking, with these JVs, there are um, you know part of the point of them is that the airlines kind of plan capacity jointly uh you know alitalia one of its frustrations um is that it can't grow to north america more aggressively because it's not allowed to do so uh, you know per the terms apparently with uh, of its jv with uh, air france klm and delta um you know they, they all manage that and decide jointly you know um uh, how much they're going to increase capacity if at all and you know then kind of allocate it uh so we'll see uh where this all goes right now it's basically just stay tuned uh this might all end up fine. Uh, Air Canada, I remember, Jason, you asked me uh, a, a week or two ago, uh, you know, if, they, if I thought they were going to keep growing at the same pace they've been growing. I said, no, look, it's going to slow down at some point for, for, uh, for various reasons. And, and, and it will. It almost has to at, at some point. But, uh, but, but it's, uh, you know, sometimes the question's more interesting than the answer, Jason. And I think, uh, I think that's a, uh, it's an interesting question. <laughs> okay, one last question on United. Uh, looking ahead, what do you see as the vulnerabilities and opportunities that are unique to that airline? Yeah, well, I, look, I mentioned the uh, the the you know, mostly new uh, management team at the top levels, at least. I mean, look, there are a lot of good people up and down the airline who who, who have uh, you know, been there for a long time. There's still that question, um, and and this is our opportunity finally to 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 see the answer now with you know sort of this you know and I don't mean to make too much of it, but you know this team that's kind of you know widely regarded in the industry is kind of you know somewhat somewhat of an all star team now. This question of uh, yeah, is there something structural about United that just makes it that makes it harder to run, harder to you know. Uh, Put up the same kinds of profits uh, that that an airline like Delta could put up. There's that question about you know uh, we've discussed it on here and certainly uh, at length in Airline Weekly over the years. The the network of hubs we talked about them before. Houston, San Francisco. You look at them and you think. um, Speaking of all stars, you think this is an all star lineup of hubs. You know, if you could start an airline, you know, what are this? Where where would you want hubs uh, in the U.S.? Uh, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Houston. Uh, Denver's a a smaller market, but it outpunches its weight because of the uh, the mountain geography there the hubs are in washington i mean it's it's um so it all looks great but they're also highly competitive uh hub cities where uh either at the same airport or or across town you know you've got a huge southwest operation a lot of places those sorts of things so uh so you know if in fact it is just impossible to be as profitable in chicago as you know delta could be in minneapolis or you know those sorts of things well that that, that would be a uh, vulnerability uh united has the more heavily unionized workforce and and uh you know compared to delta certainly things that are difficult about running um about running united but no it uh mentioned sort of that domestic restructuring and and, and all the rest of it there's a lot to be optimistic about there Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, the OAG Punctuality League 2016. Learn more at oag.com slash punctualityleague2016. In our global profitability rankings from earlier this month, Cathay Pacific was in the bottom third. They've obviously been struggling, and we were expecting a bit of a shakeup there. Seth, do you have an update on that? Not as much of an update as I thought I might have. Yeah, there, there was uh, they sort of built up some anticipation that there was going to be uh, you know significant announcement last week. 
And uh, and we candidly, Jason, to tell you, let you know all a secret here, we were sort of prepared to maybe have our cover story this week be um, be about Cathay Pacific, about this this uh, big new restructuring plan. And sort of as the days went on during the week, um, you know, they sort of talked to some local press uh, about about some job cuts here and there and so forth. But there was never sort of that, that big announcement that we that we thought might come out. We asked them, by the way, uh, directly, what about um, reports that they would shift more capacity to Cafe Dragon, what was previously called Dragon Air, kind of a, a lower cost operating unit, and one with a lot of uh, mainland China flying right. Uh, and they told us, um, and, and I'll give you the quote, they said, no firm decision has been taken. I guess you could read into that to, to say that at least while they're, I mean, they didn't deny that it was that it was on the table that that possibility. Uh, but yeah, other stuff that you know, the, the, they you know, there was talk that they were going to sell more uh, shares to Air China, but uh, not you know none none of that has has apparently happened yet. So that too sort of remains. Stay tuned for now. Can you in broad strokes explain why they're in the bottom third of the of the profitability report? Why, in other words, why they're struggling? Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a tough region uh, in terms of in terms of capacity. Um, you know, first of all, uh, right there uh, the, across the airport from them, you have Hong Kong Airlines, which is um, which is part of the Hainan, the the HNA group, a very nettlesome competitor um, with, with Hong Kong Express. Just just a lot of capacity. Uh, you know, Hong Kong itself a more competitive place uh, than it used to be, um, and and just in 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 the broader region, you're talking about. Oh, I mean, you know, even an airline like AirAsia X uh, or Scoot um, carrying the same, you know, these, these low cost long haul carriers carrying some of the same traffic that that might have connected in in Hong Kong. And so um, between, you know, those facts, between all the short haul LCCs, uh, which even if they're not huge in Hong Kong, you know, they're they're again competing in the broader market for some of the same traffic. It's, it's a a tougher situation uh, for them than, than it, uh, than it previously was. Um, you know, they and Singapore airlines, which are, you know, at least in broad terms, you know, could compete for a lot of the same, uh, global travelers, you know, they, they both are, are well off their, their peak. And, and for a while, I mean, if you compare them to say, like 2010 was a great year for, for most airlines globally. And, and certainly for those two, well, and, you know, for a while, if anything, Singapore airlines was, um, struggling more than Cathay, but that's kind of flipped now, you know, they seem to maybe be turning the corner or even, even though still, still well off their highs. And, and, uh, you know, Cathay, if anything lately has been, uh, has been struggling more. Worth noting, by the way, that Cathay, unlike Singapore Airlines and so many others around the world, has not yet, and this is another thing that you know you could imagine could be a part of a, a restructuring, has not yet launched like a low cost unit, certainly a low cost long haul unit. Uh, you know, where Singapore Airlines is doing so much of that, uh, Scoot, Tiger Air, uh, and, and so forth. Now. That's not a criticism because we've talked about this too, Jason. Uh, you know those uh, the you know the history of those kinds of units isn't good, uh, and, and the jury's still very much out about whether it is sort of this new generation of of uh, low cost airlines within a within a legacy airline company are, are going to succeed. Uh, so it's not a criticism, but just an observation that that is something that they haven't done uh, that many of their competitors have. Okay, I want to introduce a new feature on this show. As most people know, the Airline Weekly Lounge sits firmly on American soil. And in keeping with the changing landscape in America, we're calling this segment, dun dun dun, fact 
or alternative fact. <laughs> Here's how it works. Uh, I will give Seth a statement, and he tells me whether it's a fact or alternative fact. Here's a sample. Air India is the most profitable airline in the world. Seth, fact or alternative fact? And so, yeah, that would be an alternative fact. All right. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, warm-ups are over. Here goes. Monday morning, Emirates announced that it'll soon launch service between Athens and Newark, similar to the Milan JFK flights it already operates. Seth, fact or alternative fact, the Milan flights are doing so well that Emirates wants to see if it can repeat the trick with Athens. Ooh, that's an alternative fact, Jason. Uh, you know, Emirates very clearly, like the other Gulf carriers, um, you know, let me look like Turkish Airlines to some degree, uh, is is running out of, uh, you know, it's running out of good ideas about where to allocate uh, capacity growth. And in Emirates' case, it, it, uh, unlike Turkish at this point, still growing, um, you know, like Etihad, like uh, Qatar Airways. You know, so, so, so at some point, uh, well, you know, not a lot of, they hate to use the cliche low hanging fruit, but in terms of uh, you know unserved markets from Dubai, what's out there? Um, you know, so they start thinking about more of this Fifth Freedom flying as it's known. Fifth Freedom flying, Jason, is always um, is always tough. Long haul Fifth Freedom flying is is particularly tough. Uh, now, in the case of Athens, um, there there's no direct competition there, so it's a little different from. Uh, from Milan, Milan rather clearly. Um, I mean, all I have to do is hop online, and look at the fares in that in that market, uh, and uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody can, can really be making much money there. And uh, so, yeah, you, know, you can fill a plane if the if the fares are low enough, but but pretty tough to uh, to profit. And the other thing they really have to worry about here. I, I mean, it was it was only hours after they put out their news about that that the um, the coalition of of uh, mostly U.S. legacy airlines uh, that, that fight against the well Gulf carrier growth to the U.S. fighting against Nor- Norwegian, all, all, all that, um, put out their own press release, um, and they made very clear that you know here in the opening days of the Trump administration. I mean, they didn't say this, but you know everybody knows what that means. Uh, you know, maybe more protectionism and so forth. Uh, you know, here's Emirates coming in doing this and threatening U.S. airlines and and uh, U.S. airline jobs and 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 all of that. Uh, so they have to hope that they haven't by launching this market, which is going to be difficult to begin with, that they haven't, you know, caused themselves uh, some other problems in addition to just the fact that that, uh, that this will probably be a tricky market, even in the context of of um, uh, you know still rather low oil prices right now, which lowers the risk of starting new markets. And in the context of the fact, as I said, that uh, that that Newark Athens is, is unlike Milan JFK is is not currently served. The Brazilian low cost carrier Goal is one of the least profitable airlines in the world. Seth, fact or alternative fact? Goal will turn itself around. That's a fact, Jason. I I, I would say it, it's it's. I mean, all all kinds of um, risks in in Brazil, but all the economic indicators, the currency, just sort of the the the, the broader um, external environment. You know, everything seems to be bouncing well off its lows, um, and airlines there. Especially Goal and Latam, you know, really slashed capacity uh, when when times got bad. Uh, and I mean, look, in the end, it's supply and demand economics. Um, even in a bad environment, you know, if you've cut enough capacity, it's it, it's going to um, do do something to to buttress your 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 yields and your unit revenues. Um, and that's what uh, seems to be happening there. Uh, I mean, they 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 have a lot to clean up. You know, just to 
bad balance sheet from from uh, you know everything that uh, that happened, um, and uh, and an airline that has sort of over the years kind of had its moments where it's done well, but had a hard time keeping it going consistently. Um, so uh, you know they. They have a lot to prove uh, in terms of whether they they can do that consistently. Whether they can string together more than you know a few quarters or a year of of, uh, of outsized profits. But the the evidence so far is that they uh, is that they are off their lows and uh, still an airline. You know, it's a the, the big low cost airline in a big in a big airline market. You you have to think that they have uh, that they have a long term future. In the past year, JetBlue, the upmarket low-cost carrier, has managed to cut in half its operating margin gap against Spirit, the perennially profitable ultra-low-cost carrier. JetBlue cut its deficit against Spirit from six points to three points. Seth, fact or alternative fact, JetBlue will catch Spirit. I think that's a fact, Jason. Uh, you know, they're they're on a really good trajectory here. And look, I mean, usual disclaimer, I'm not saying spirit you know isn't going to be fine they will but uh you know we, we've we've talked in the past i keep saying that this show don't I? we've talked in the past but it's it's true and it's worth uh these are all points that merit we've uh, talked a lot yeah we have talked a lot so we said a lot of things and i guess you know you say enough things and yeah sooner or later you're gonna talk about something you've talked about before you know just this environment right now doesn't favor ultra low cost carriers they're you know they're Still going to make a lot of money, um, but relatively speaking, you know they can do certain things to mitigate what's going on. Uh, you know there just are certain environments to benefit certain kinds of airlines more than others, and this this um, environment of rather low fares, where it makes it harder for the the ultra low cost carriers to differentiate on price. You know to be far cheaper than the than the other airlines because it's just impossible to be far cheaper than cheap. Um, you know it's not great for them. Uh, you know, JetBlue, uh, look, they belatedly uh, started charging for bags. That's been great for them. They they uh, underestimated how much extra money they could make. They overestimated how much customers would care about it. Uh, you know, people still uh, uh, still like the airline. Um, so you know, they, they've they've done that, and they are just beginning what they call a cabin refresh, which is um, you know, a densification of of, of their aircraft, where they're uh, adding oh, you know, two rows of seats. Um, a dozen or so seats on onto their airplanes. Uh, with and they're going to slimline seats, so you know, not really uh taking away legroom. Still have the most legroom, the the most standard legroom of of any of the U.S. airlines. But uh, you know, densification has been a just just a real tonic for a lot of airlines around the world. Um, a real powerful tool to both lower your u- unit costs because when you can uh, you know, spread the costs of the same two pilots and you know ownership costs of the aircraft and all the rest of it among 12 more passengers and get more total revenue. I mean, it'll dilute your unit revenue a little bit, obviously having having more people on the plane, you know, just more supply, but uh, more total revenue. Um, it has done great things for, uh, for airlines that have gone down that path. Uh, so, you know, you combine that along with the fact that you know, yes, it faces a bulked up Alaska, but you no longer have Virgin America, kind of this desperate competitor in the marketplace. A lot is going right for JetBlue, so I think, uh, and and I should say too, you know, they're upgaging. You know, that too has been very useful. Uh, you know, Spirit has sort of decided, hey, maybe we don't need those A three twenty ones in this new environment. We're you know, maybe they don't want to compete as directly at legacy hubs and so forth. I mean, we'll we'll see what they do network wise, but we know uh, that they seem to they seem so far at least keen on moving away from the larger planes. JetBlue moving toward them uh, again. You know, 
maybe what Spiritle do, is doing will work out. But just in a very basic sense, these things that JetBlue is doing are things that generally have been very helpful for airlines. And um, you know, I'm not saying forever uh, because I, I love the ultra low cost model in general. But uh, sometime in in the next uh, couple years here, can we see uh, JetBlue catch Spirit? I think yeah. Speaking of airlines catching other airlines, United says it can catch Delta by 2020. Fact or alternative fact? Oh, that's that's the toughest one yet. If I ha- yeah, if I had to pick one or the other, I'm going to say alternative fact. And I mean, look, you'd have to sort of define. Okay, is it is this going to be on a on an ongoing basis, or are we saying can they catch them in a quarter here or there? Uh, I mean, of course, look, they caught them last quarter for you know for 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 special reasons, but um, but on an ongoing basis. You know, I I, I think um, uh, United is doing all the right things. You know, finally we can say United doing everything United should be doing. But I I, I still, but look, Delta's doing everything Delta should be doing too, pretty much. Uh, and 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 I think Delta does still have certain structural advantages. It you know the 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 mostly non-union workforce, uh, just those hubs that, and I know it doesn't have a hub in uh, you know in Chicago or in San Francisco, you know, some of the very biggest cities, but, uh, but you know, these are, these are good hub cities where it dominates in a way that United doesn't dominate its hub cities. Uh, and then there's just other things about Delta sort of related to those things. You know, the Delta tech ops is just this, I mean, Delta, you know, uh, very profitably fixes airplanes for airlines around the world, uh, you know, related to the non-union workforce and just the way it's, it's, it's structured, just something that, you know, United hasn't really tried, American tried, didn't really work for them. And for Delta, it works very, very well. You know, there's, there's, the, I, I, I think that if both airlines are sort of meeting their own potential um, so far, I still say the burden of proof is on United that it doesn't have, you know, structural issues um, that prevent it from, from quite catching Delta. But uh, but but I I do think it'll be close, um, and 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 they've already made um, a lot of progress. Fact or alternative fact: If the UK follows through on its threat to do what's being called a hard Brexit, Ryanair will follow through on its threat to end all domestic UK flying. I think that's a fact, but with kind of an asterisk. Um, you know, all UK domestic flying is not that much flying. I just just looked it up in Do. Uh, uh, they they're you know scheduled to serve five domestic routes um, this summer. Uh, you know mostly stuff from you know Scotland, and Glasgow, Edinburgh to you know London that sort of thing. The, the Belfast route, yeah, you know. So yeah, I think you know first of all, it's just not that much flying to where you know, to maintain their credibility. I think they will they'll they'll probably want to follow through on that threat. And, and just you know, it's not just a matter of of, of making threats. Um, if they actually, and, and this is the issue, if they actually have to go out and get their own AOC uh, to operate domestic within the UK, which is something that you, you know, you, I mean, you know, nobody knows how this is all going to end up. But if there's a hard Brexit, where you know, where uh, you know the UK is just kind of out on its own, and European airlines can't just fly domestic, you know, don't don't have you know, what's called cabotage rights to fly d- domestically, um, then. You know, I mean, yeah, it just, just, it, it really could be not worth having to go out and, and, and spend the money on that and, and maintain that separate AOC, uh, just for what, what will always remain for Ryanair, probably a, uh, rather small number of routes. So, uh, I think it's a fact. And one more fact or alternative fact everybody at Friday's inauguration could have fit on a single A380. <laughs> Jason, that's not nice. 
<laughs> now wait, is it is it is it in all economy configuration or? <laughs> <laughs> great job, Seth. I think you got every one of those, or maybe you didn't. That's what's so great about this system. You can't really tell. And on that note, we'll wrap episode 62 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. We'll see you back here next week with some more earnings report and other airline analysis, I'm sure. This podcast has been sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. Learn more at oag.com slash punctuality league 2016. 